Welcome to the Amazing Spider webcast, going through Amazing Spider-Man issue by issue. There you go. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Pete, and uh, we're going to go. We are at issue 27. Uh, bring my goblin back to me, as it's apparently known. Um, so if, if we remember last time, well, actually, there's a little box here. That uh, says, just as the mysterious crime master prepares to take command over the city's gangs, a startling interruption takes place as the gloating green goblin brings in an unconscious prisoner. And then there's a little arrow with text in it pointing to that that says, how's that for a one sentence resume of last month's 20 page thriller? Pretty good. I don't know if I'd call that a resume. Is that what like resume means? Like where we left off? I guess that would kind of make sense because it is like resume and then is also like, uh, well, here's where I left off work-wise. Here's where I'm at. So maybe that, maybe that is a proper use of the word resume. Who would have thought? We learned something from comics. Um, so Green Goblin is basically dumping an unconscious Spider-Man in front of the crime master um, the most uh, creatively named villain that any of us have ever encountered. <laughs> what are you? I'm the crime master. Uh, okay. Good one. Real good. Uh, the crime master um, is, you know, wearing a suit and a hat and a, a fairly cool mask. It's just kind of black and white with some design on it or some shit. But it's something. It's something. There's also a great uh, word box on this page that says, if you dig an action-packed, old-fashioned cops and robbers mystery yarn, this one is for you. But even if you don't like this kind of story, read it anyway. It may just change your mind. What a sales pitch. Uh, if you like this kind of thing, this is the story for you. If you don't, well, buy it and read it. Fuck it. I don't care. Just buy it. Buy it. Buy comics until you don't even know where you are anymore. So they chain up Spider-Man. Uh, Green Goblin and Crime Master have an exchange. Uh, Green Goblin. Too bad, my double-crossing friend. This will knock your plans to get control of the mobs into a cocked hat. Which, this is like... Every once in a while, they have these old-timey phrases. And sometimes the old-timey phrases are ones that I've at least heard. You know what I mean? It's like, but this will knock your plans into a cocked hat. I can't even begin to uh, guess what that means exactly or where it comes from. Who knows, right? Who, could, who can say? Uh, but the plans will be knocked into a cocked hat. The mobsters have all turned on the crime master because the Green Goblin brought Spider-Man. So, uh, you know, now they're like, oh, fuck this guy. Let's go with this. Who would have thought that, like, you know, mobster henchmen would be so capricious? I mean, probably everybody would have thought that, and they would have been correct. 
uh, Spider-Man becomes ununconscious and starts to escape. And so he's jumping around. He's still chained up, but it turns out that a Spider-Man with chains around, you know, his arms and his feet is still uh, pretty capable of beating the shit out of average mobsters, which I guess stands to reason. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have known that that would be such an unfair fight still. And it does, uh, it does make it a little bit of a problem because you're like, well, hold on. He's been beating the shit out of mobsters this whole time. And it turns out he could have done it just chained up. So, I mean, this must be easy as hell. But I do like, uh, you know, the Green Goblin and the Crime Master almost shoot each other. Which, by the way, I was like, why wouldn't you just fucking shoot each other? You hate each other anyway. They're both trying to shoot Spider-Man and then almost accidentally shoot each other. Which I was like, hey, I might just go with it. (laughs) If it was either one of these guys, I'd be like, oh, fuck that. If If I accidentally shoot this guy in the melee that I'm trying to take over his crimes or whatever, that doesn't seem like a problem. Uh, The Green Goblin calls the Crime Master a clumsy bungler, which I really enjoy because, uh, you know, you realize that you couldn't just call someone a fucker and, like, that's not possible in comics. So it kind of forced them to be a little more creative, right? You had to come up with something like a clumsy bungler, which I don't think anyone would ever say. But in a comic book, of course you'd say it because you're like, I can't call this, you know, this guy a fuckface, which is probably what somebody would actually say. So then at this point, um, there's a there's a mysterious guy named Patch who's watching uh, and he has an eye patch. So he's very cleverly named (laughs) Patch and, uh, you know, has alerted the police Um, so the police come busting in. So now we've got a bunch of mob guys and a bunch of police fighting. We've also got Spider-Man chained up, but flying around and fighting and Green Goblin shooting, you know, magic beams and Crime Master shooting a gun everywhere. The cops come in um, and just start fist fighting all the mob guys, which they are correct to do. It's weird. Okay. Uh, Current day politics aside, it's kind of hilarious to look at like cops and reading old comics makes me wonder like, I wonder how much punching like old cops did like in the 60s, because maybe it's a lot, but maybe it's also like um, if I'm looking to comic books to figure out police, what a police officer's day to day looks like, that's probably a mistake. I feel pretty comfortable saying that that's a mistake. But anyway, it's it, the comics sure make it seem like, you know, one of your uh, your prime hiring things would be like, well, can we get one of those machines that tells how hard you can punch? And that's how we'll know if you'd be a good cop, because if you're just going to walk into a room and brawl with people, it's like every every day of a cop is like a, a Sega Genesis, you know, beat up brawler type game or something. Um, so anyway, they're having a, a big melee. And at some point, Green Goblin is like, I'll just lose myself in the crowd, which I'm like, you're in a purple getup and green skin flying around on a glider. And he's like, I'll just lose myself in the crowd, which doesn't seem really possible, but he kind of manages it, actually. Um, Then it's just like page after page of fighting. Spider-Man's beating the shit out of everybody. Now, you may remember that he's still uh, and the writers of the comic remembered. So that's good that Spider-Man's wearing like a 
costume store Spider-Man costume knockoff because uh, Aunt May took his costume. Because, you know, Peter Parker was like, oh, this was just a gag. So she took it away from him because, you know, he's not responsible enough or whatever. And uh, so he's wearing a knockoff. So it's like falling down on him and like burying his midriff and shit. It's a good thing belly button piercings were not in style. That would be a great like Spider-Man thing. You know, you do a modern Spider-Man comic and you're like, oh, no, everyone saw his belly button piercing. They're going to know it's him. Piercer Parker, who everyone knows has a belly button ring because he's a fucking weirdo. I might also enjoy that. Like if Peter Parker was like not a bad guy, just weird, just kind of a weird, like a weird person in a somewhat unpleasant way. And it's not like he's unpleasant, but you just don't really want you. If you're having a party at your house with like four or five people, that's what I call a party because I enjoy reading old comic books. Um, you would not invite Peter Parker. I am interested in that kind of Peter Parker. Anyway, everyone starts escaping. Uh, Spider-Man pursues the crime master who shoots a, you know, nerve gas out of a gun at him. <laughs> he commits a war crime in the sewers under, under New York City, which seems fine. And uh, Spider-Man, you know, we always like to catalog on this show when Spider-Man uses like Spidey powers uh, or makes something out of web or something. And he makes a web helmet that I guess works as a gas mask. Um, and it's just basically a cylinder he slaps on top of his head, and it works. Believe it or not, he's walking, he's breathing on air, which is good. It's good that he's not, like, you know, had his spinal cord destroyed by gas. I That would be kind of a downer and not the best way for the comic to move forward. So anyway, Spider-Man's looking around for uh, the crime master, uh, but he doesn't find him. And then he's like, oh, yeah, Foswell works at the Bugle. I'm going to go find that guy. I'm suspicious of him. So he goes to the Bugle or he goes looking around for him, finally finds him at the Bugle. Jameson's there. Spider-Man calls him an old skinflint, which I was like, he calls him that a lot. What does that mean? And, you know, people are like, uh, it's a miser. Well, people. Dictionary. It's 1700 slang, and it's the kind of person who would skin a flint to save or gain something, which I'm like, what does that mean? Or it's also like a flay flint <laughs> from the 1670s. Um, it's also, I guess, like somebody who would save, gain, or extort money by any means. Um, okay. And then Vocabulary.com says it's someone who only shops at bargain stores, never orders dessert, and in general hates spending money. <laughs> it's not a nice word. <laughs> um, also, interestingly enough, when it comes up, when you look up Skinflint, it's people search for also, what is a nip cheese? I'm a little concerned. Um, a miser. Nip cheese. I have never, who's heard of nip cheese before? Skinflint I've heard, but maybe that's just because I uh, read Spider-Man comics. Oh, okay. It's a ship's purser or a miser. Uh, the old nip cheese has been wasting his time is one of the, one of the example sentences. The other one is that's our nip cheese. 
Good one. Who did these sentences, Merriam-Webster? Was it Merriam or Webster? Because one of y'all uh, didn't do, you know, that's our nip cheese. You could do that definition of literally any word. That sentence does not give any context to any word. That's our neighbor. That's our nip cheese. That's our anti-disestablishment and You know what I mean? Like, that doesn't do anything. These are horrible, horrible uh, sentences. Ship's purser. Uh, that person is our nip cheese who X, Y, Z, whatever a purser does. Is that like an accountant on a ship? <laughs> a purser is what a, uh, like a dad is when they go to the mall and they have to hold the purse. Anyway, skin flint. So we've got Foswell, we've got Jameson, we've got Spider-Man. They're all figuring all this shit out. And then the crime master is across the street on a roof. And is about to shoot all of them, one of them, some of them. Um, but the cops show up and are like, give up. But uh, Crime Master won't. So he gets shot off screen, if you will. Um, and then the cops go up to him and they're like, is there anything you want to tell us while you still can? And of course, the Crime Master knows the secret identity of the Green Goblin. So he says, you bet there is. I'll have the last laugh yet, gasp. If I cash in, I'll take the goblin with me. His his real identity is is and then he's dead. <laughs> now what's great about this is cop A says, "Boy, if I saw that happen in a mystery movie, I'd laugh at how corny it was." And yet, cop B, a rotten break for us. He's dead. He never got the name out. So cop A is in the comic calling out uh, how cheesy, how corny it was um, that he died like as he was trying to say the secret identity of the Green Goblin and uh, just just barely didn't manage to get it out. Um, which is great. Then also we cut into the interior of the bugle where the cops show up. Jameson, Foswell, and Spider-Man are there. Foswell reveals that he knew who the crime master was uh, it was Nick Lucky Lewis, which is apparently someone we don't really know. And Spider-Man is thinking to himself, it's kind of funny. In real life, when a villain is unmasked, he isn't always the butler or the one you suspected. Sometimes he's a man you don't even know. Which I was kind of like, all right. On one hand, I get what you're saying, Spidey. You're kind of like, this is like a realistic story. Because if there were some underground crime boss known as the Crime Master, and then you found out who he was, there's a pretty good chance you would have no idea who that person actually was, right? Like, they'd unmask him, and you'd be like, eh? I don't, I don't know. I guess that's him. There you go. But on the other hand, I'm reading this, and I'm like, well, I don't know if that counts as a story, then. <laughs> I feel maybe a little cheated here story-wise because you're like, well, I guess you told a realistic story in, in as much as the crime master is like not someone you personally know. And I suppose that would happen in a, uh, a story in a comic book tale or like a real life tale. On the other hand, um, I just watched you like escape from chains and fly around, and you bought a suit of yourself from a fucking costume store. You know what I mean? Like, I 
I'm willing to give this like some, it's not about realism or not realism, right? I hate when people do that in comics. They're like, it seems like this argument comes up a lot when like uh, a character's gay or something. They decide Iceman is gay and people are like, eh. And then people who defend the idea are like, is that any more unrealistic that there'd be a gay superhero? And it's like, I'm not arguing that it's unrealistic, but I am saying that at some point, like some things have to be based in reality. So like, of course, being a gay superhero is fine. There's nothing about that that is weird or whatever, but at some point, something has to matter, right? You have to at some point be like, well, if Spider-Man can just fly today, it's like, well, him flying is that's true. It's no more unbelievable that he could fly than he could shoot webs out and swing around on him, right? That's no him being able to fly doesn't seem any worse than web swinging. So sure. But at the same time, you got to be like, well, but if if we're going to just go by that standard of like, if one thing is unbelievable, then everything can just be unbelievable. Um, what's even the point? At some, at some point, something has to be static or whatever. So anyway, Foswell's off the hook. Jameson's like, get out of my office. Uh, Spidey goes to retrieve his camera. And then he decides to sell his pictures to another newspaper because Jameson's a dick. And uh, because Jameson's way of getting revenge on Spider-Man for whatever is he's like, I'm going to, you know, make Foswell the hero of this story and it'll make Spider-Man look like a chump because, you know, Foswell fixed this situation, not Spider-Man. So Peter Parker's like, all right, fuck you. I'll go sell my pictures somewhere else. Not fuck you. All right, you old skin flint, you bungler. (laughs) So he goes to the Daily Globe. Which I thought, you know, this is a missed opportunity, by the way. He should have gone to the Daily Globe and it would basically be like the Daily Planet. And that would have been hilarious. But uh, the most notable thing about the Daily Globe is Mr. Bushkin. Um, And it's not really Mr. Bushkin so much as his worst comb over of all time. The way his comb over works is it looks like they drew... Uh, you know those woolly willy things where it's like magnet and you put hair on them and stuff? It looks like they did that and they gave him a full head of hair and then erased the hair on half of his head. It looks fucking crazy. It doesn't look like bad the way a comb over would look bad. It's like uh, just insane. He looks insane. <laughs> now this is like... This is after we have J. Jonah Jameson, who has a Hitler mustache. And I'm saying, like, this guy, his hair is outrageous. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing. Um, we go back home. Peter Parker's looking for his costume, which he's sure that Aunt May wouldn't have thrown out because uh, he's like, she would use the material for something else for sure. She wouldn't just waste material like that. Which I was like, I guess my mom like cut up our old shirts and stuff to make them into rags, you know, for cleaning or whatever. But I was like, Jesus Christ, I mean, a Spider-Man, a full Spider-Man costume. I don't think my mom cut up our Halloween costumes, but I I don't know. So then uh, Aunt May comes home. She seems down. Um, 
she seems lonely, so Peter Parker takes her to the movies. Um, oh, we find out that Foswell is Patch, by the way. He has a mask that is pretty fucking amazing, like Mission Impossible, the movie-level mask in the 60s. But whatever, no one seemed to notice. But I guess we're we're talking about this guy's wearing... Okay, perfect example. Is it realistic that someone would be able to wear like a rubber mask and no one would be like, this guy looks kind of fucked up? Of course not, right? That's not realistic. But that's like ben- so far beneath the level of believing in like a Spider-Man or a Green Goblin that you're like, eh, I'm willing to let it slide. Of course. Um, whereas like if Spider-Man could just fly, you're like, well, okay. Also, I guess if it facilitates a story that's more interesting, um, it's it's better to stretch believability for the sake of that than to tell a story of like, what if Spider-Man could fly? (laughs) Oh, God. By the way, I did not bring up like Iceman being gay is like a believability thing. That's just like that just seems to be an argument that comes up and I don't fully understand the argument of like are people arguing it's not that I'm arguing that it's not realistic that Iceman would be gay it's just weird because you're like well this guy who's been in comics since like the 70s or whatever and now he's gay and I guess that's fine but like I I would like some backstory maybe of like it, it, it makes it weird Because the way comics work, right, is it's like, well, Iceman would be, I don't know, like 60 or 70 years old at this point. 90, maybe. (laughs) Um, But he's not. He's still like a young, a young guy. And so then you're like, okay, well, wait a minute. So did that other stuff happen? Was he gay? Did he has he been gay the whole time? Has he more recently realized his he's gay? Like, well, how does this work? What is happening? So anyway, I just that's that's to me the the realism thing is I'm like I think you could just make a gar- a character gay and it's fine, but like I wouldn't mind reading a little bit of like yeah, I guess I've been gay this whole time and I just sort of kept that down or I I was trying to deny that I was gay because whatever I, I don't know I I grew up in the ice man house the ice house and it was conservative I don't know <laughs> anyway it's a dumb argument as a as a comics person which you probably are if you're listening to this I I encourage you to stay away from the argument that always comes up when it's like a character is Revealed to be gay or whatever, because it's just like, oh, that's fine. The argument I have about characters being gay or like, you know, um, Superman's son being gay or something is never uh, gross. Like, ah, gross. He's gay. That's unbelievable. The argument is that it seems like what happens when they make a character gay or something like that is that then that character doesn't get to like fight dark side anymore. He goes on dates and you're like, I mean, that's fine. Like here in this comic, Peter Parker, it ends with him taking aunt may on a date basically. Um, and that's fine, but we're talking about, uh, 
eight panels in total where he's like, Aunt May seems lonely. I should take her out. And he's like, let's go out to the movies. And they're talking about how much they enjoyed the movie. And you're like, okay, that's nice. He's just taking his aunt out. But you're, you know, it's maybe one twentieth of the issue is about that. And the rest is, you know, there's still a fight. There's a supervillain. There's things happening. A guy gets shot. <laughs> secret identities are revealed. Um, another secret identity is revealed to no fanfare. You know, all these things happen, right? And um, they they don't forget to make like a story, like to make a thing happen. So it's like, yeah, please feel free. Um, have have gay superheroes make people change them around, whatever. Just don't forget to make it a comic book still. That's all I want. I just don't want it to be a non-comic book because that kind of dis this is the ironic thing, right? Is when you make a character gay and then the entire book is about their relationship or like an outsized portion is just about their romantic relationship. Then you're sort of like defeating your own message. Because you're like, oh, maybe gay people can't be superheroes because when they are, their entire story is still about them being gay as opposed to being a man who's made out of ice. Which, you know, that's probably part of this, too, is like, well, which of these is more interesting? Definitely a man being made out of ice is more interesting than a person being gay. I hate to say that to any gay listeners out there, but. I stand by it for the sake of any Iceman listeners we have out there, which I don't think we have, which is why it's more interesting because <laughs> it's pretty much like scientifically impossible up to this point to have an Iceman <laughs> or a Superman or a son of a Superman. So that's all. That's that's the official Amazing Spider webcast take on like uh, diversifying heroes is like, go for it. Just don't forget to also have them be superheroes. And honestly, I would prefer if that was their primary sort of like thing that they did was superhero shit and their, uh, sexuality, their romance life was, uh, after that. Cause you know, if I want to read about that, if that's what I want to read, I will read Archie comics. I have read Archie comics, like the modern ones. They're nice. They're not bad. Um, and they're very much about, you know, just life shit, romance, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't really read Archie comics for like swashbuckling, you know, melees between cops and mobsters and like two villains and Spider-Man chained up. But I do read Spider-Man for a melee between cops and mobsters and two supervillains and Spider-Man chained up. You know, I maybe I have a limited view of what's enjoyable in the world, but that's that's what I read the comics for. So there you go. Just just to just mind the ratio. Consider the ratio, consider what you're doing. And if you're going to um you know, if you're going to make Superman's son gay and it's going to become basically a comic that's mostly if it's going to be the Lois and Clark of uh, Superman things, which is like, well, look, Lois and Clark was mostly about the people and their relationship. Right. And that's fine. 
just just kind of be explicit about it. You know what I mean? Just let me know that that's what I'm in for, and then I can opt in or opt out or whatever. And it, it helps me because then I'm like, okay, it, I can understand whether or not they're succeeding at what they're trying to do here. The end. Well, there you go. That that went off on a little comic book tangent. But you know what? That's fine. If you didn't like it, fuck you. That's the end lyric of a different podcast that I do, which I'm not going to name because I'm a terrible marketer for myself. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of The Amazing Spider Webcast. We'll see you next time for uh, Peter Parker's high school graduation. I know I can't wait. I was excited to graduate high school. Look out, here comes the spider.